Book Six, Chapter Four of Camilla. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Linda Velwest. Camilla, or a Picture of Youth by Fanny Burney. Book Six, Chapter Four. Noel. The last words of Camilla to Mandelbear in quitting Cleves and the tears with which he saw her eyes overflowing had annihilated all his resentment and left him no wish but to serve her her distinction between what was wisest and what was kindness had penetrated him to the quick to be thought capable of severity towards so sweet a young creature the daughter of his guardian his juvenile companion and earliest favourite made him detestable in his own eyes he languished to follow her to apologize for what had hurt her and to vow to her a fair and disinterested friendship for the rest of his life and he only forced himself from decency to stay out his promised week with the baronet before he set out for tunbridge upon his arrival which was late he went immediately to the rooms but he only saw her name in the books and learnt upon inquiring for mrs arlberry that she and her party were already retired glad to find her so sober in hours he went to the hotel meaning quietly to read till bedtime and to call upon her the next morning in a few moments a voice struck his ear that effectually interrupted his studies it was the voice of camilla camilla at an hotel at past eleven o'clock he knew she did not lodge there he had seen in the books the direction of mrs arlberry at mount pleasant mrs arlberry's voice he also distinguished sir sedley clarendell's general kinsale's and least of all welcome the major's perhaps however some lady some intimate friend of mrs arlberry was just arrived and had made them spend the evening there he rang for his man and bid him inquire who had taken the next room and learnt it was sir sedley clarendell to visit a young man at an hotel rich handsome and splendid and with a chaperone so far from past her prime so elegant so coquettish so alluring and still so pretty and to meet there a flashy officer her open pursuer and avowed admirer tis true he had concluded tunbridge and the major were one but not thus not with such glaring impropriety his love he told himself was past but his esteem was still susceptible and now grievously wounded to read was impossible to hold his watch in his hand and count the minutes she still stayed was all to which his faculties were equal no words distinctly reached him that the conversation was lively the tone of every voice announced but when that of camilla struck him by its laughter the depth of his concern drew from him a sigh that was heard into the next apartment of this with infinite vexation he was himself aware from the sudden silence and pause of all discourse which ensued ashamed of both what he felt and what he betrayed he grew more upon his guard and hoped it might never be known to whom the room belonged when however as they were retiring a scream reached his ear though he knew it was not the voice of camilla he could not command himself and rushed forth with a light but the lady who screamed was as little noticed as thought of the major was holding the hand of camilla and his eye could take in no more 
he saw not even mrs arlbury was there and when roused by her question all voice was denied him for answer he stood motionless even after they had descended the stairs till the steps of the general and the major retiring to their chambers brought to him some recollection and enabled him to retreat fully now as well as cruelly convinced of the unbated force of his unhappy passion he spent the night in extreme wretchedness and all that was not swallowed up in repining and regret was devoted to ruminate upon what possible means he could suggest to restore to himself the tranquillity of indifference the confusion of camilla persuaded him she thought she was acting wrong but whether from disapprobation of the character of the major or from any pecuniary obstacles to their union he could not devise to assist the marriage according to his former plan would best he still believed soothe his internal sufferings if once he could fancy the major at all worthy of such a wife but camilla with all her inconsistencies he thought a treasure unequalled and to contribute to bestow her on a man who probably only prized her for her beauty he now persuaded himself would rather be culpable than generous upon the whole therever he could resolve only upon a complete change of his last system to seek instead of avoiding her to familiarize himself with her faults till he ceased to dote upon her virtues to discover if her difficulties were mental or worldly to enforce them if the first and whatever it might cost him to invalidate them if the last this plan the only one he could form abated his misery it reconciled him to residing where camilla resided it was easy to him therefore to conclude it was the least objectionable camilla meanwhile in her way to mount pleasant spoke not a syllable dismayed that edgar should have seen her so situated while in ignorance how it had happened made in uneasiness the most terrible combat the perplexed pleasure that lightened yet palpitated in her bosom from the view of edgar at tunbridge and from the sigh which had reached her ears yet was it for her he sighed was it not rather from some secret inequitude in which she was wholly uninterested and might never know still however he was at tunbridge still therefore she might hope something relative to herself induced his coming and she determined with respect to her own behaviour to observe the injunctions of her father whose letter she would regularly read every morning mrs arlbury also spoke not the unexpected sight of mandelbert occupied all her thoughts yet though his confusion was suspicious she could not ultimately believe he loved camilla as she could suggest no possible impediment to his proclaiming any regard he entertained his sigh she imagined as likely to be mere lassitude as love and supposed that having long discovered the partiality of camilla his vanity had been confounded by the devoir of the major miss dennell therefore was the only one whose voice was heard during the ride for now completely awakened she talked without cessation of the fright she had endured la i thought cried she when i tumbled down somebody threw me down on purpose and i was going to kill me oh dear me i thought i should have died and then i thought it was a robber and then i thought the candle that come was a ghost oh la i was never so frightened in my life the next morning they went as usual to the pantiles and mrs arlbury took her seat in the bookseller's shop where the usual bow were encountered and where presently edgar entering addressed to her some discourse and made some general inquiries after the health of camilla it was a cruel drawback to her hopes to see him first thus in public 
but the manner of mrs arlberry at the hotel he had thought repulsive he had observed that she seemed offended with him since the recounter at the breakfast given for miss denno and he now wished for some encouragement for renewing his rights to the acquaintance sir sedley though with the assistance of a stick he had reached the library was not sufficiently at his ease to again mount his horse a carriage expedition was therefore agitating for the morning and to see noel being fixed upon equipages and horses were ordered while they waited their arrival lady alethea selmore and a very shewy train of ladies and gentlemen came into the library sir sedley losing the easy natural manner which had just so much pleased camilla resumed his affectations indolence and inattention and flung himself back in his chair without finishing a speech he had begun or listening to an inquiry why he had stopped short his friends lord newford and sir theophilus gerard shuffled up to her ladyship and sir sedley muttering to himself life would not be life without being introduced to her got up and seizing lord newford by the shoulder whispered what he called the height of his ambition and was presented without delay he then entered into a little abrupt half-articulated conversation with lady alethea who by a certain toss of the chin a short and half scornful laugh and a supercilious dropping of the eye gave to every sentence she uttered the air of a bon mot and after each as regularly stopped for some testimony of admiration as a favourite actress in some scene which every speech is applauded what she said indeed had no other mark than what this manner gave to it for it was neither good nor bad wise nor foolish sprightly nor dull it was what if naturally spoken would have passed as it deserved without censure or praise this manner however prevailed not only upon her auditors but herself to believe that something of wit of finesse of peculiarity accompanied her every phrase thought properly speaking there was none in anything she pronounced her speeches were all replies which her admirers dignified by the name of repartees and which mechanically and regularly flowed from some word not idea that preceded mrs arlberry having listened to some time turned entirely away though with less contempt of her ladyship than of her hearers her own auditors however except the faithful general had all deserted her even the major curious to attend to a lady of some celebrity had quitted the chair of camilla and edgar himself imagining from this universal devotion there was something well worth an audience had joined the group we are terribly in the background general cried mrs arlberry in a low voice what must be done to save our reputations the general laughing said he feared they were lost irretrievably but added that he preferred defeat with her to victory without her your gallantry my dear general cried she with a sudden air of glee shall be rewarded follow me close and you shall see the fortune of this day reversed rising then she advanced softly and with an air of respect towards the party and fixing herself just opposite to lady alethea with looks of the most profound attention stood still as if in admiring expectation lady alethea who had regarded this approach as an intrusion that strongly manifested ignorance of high life thought much better of it when she remarked the almost veneration of her air she deemed it however wholly beneath her to speak when thus attended to till observing the patient admiration with which even a single word seemed to be hoped for she began to pardon what appeared to be mere tribute to her fame 
and upon Sir Theophilus Gerard's saying, I don't think we've had such a bore of a season as this these five years, could not refuse herself the pleasure of replying, I did not imagine, Sir Theophilus, you were already able to count by lustres. Her own air of complacency announced the happiness of this answer. The company, as usual, took the hint, and approbation was buzzed around her. Lord Newford gave a loud laugh, without the least conception why, and Sir Theophilus, after paying the same compliment, wished, as it concerned himself, to know what had been said, and glided to the other end of the shop to look for the word luster in Entick's dictionary. But this triumph was even less than momentary. Mrs. Arlbury, gently raising her shoulders with her head, indulged herself in a smile that favoured yet more of pity than derision, and with a hasty glance at the general that spoke in eagerness to compare notes with him, hurried out of the shop, her eyes dropped, as if fearful to trust her countenance to an instant's investigation. Lady Alethea felt herself blush. The confusion was painful and unusual to her. She drew her glove off and on. She dabbled a highly-scented pocket-handkerchief repeatedly to her nose. She wondered what it was o'clock, took her watch in her hand, without recollecting to examine it, and then wondered if it would rain, though not a cloud was to be discerned in the sky. To see her thus completely disconcerted gave a weight to the mischievous malice of Mrs. Arlbury, of which the smallest presence of mind would have robbed it. Her admirers, one by one, dwindled away with lessened esteem for her talents, and, finding herself presently alone in the shop with Sir Theophilus Gerard, said, "'Pray, Sir Theophilus, do you know anything of that queer woman?' The words queer woman were guides sufficient to Sir Theophilus, who answered, "'No, I have seen her somewhere, by accident, but she is quite out of our line.' This reply was a sensible gratification to Lady Alethea, who, having heard her warmly admired by Lord O'Lerney, had been the more susceptible to her ridicule. Rudeness she could have despised without emotion, but contempt had something in it of insolence, a commodity she held herself born to dispense, not receive. When Mrs. Arlbury arrived laughing at the bottom of the pantiles, she found Edgar making inquiries of the time and manner of drinking the mineral water. Camilla heard him also, and with deep apprehension for his health. He did not, however, look ill, and a second sadness, not less deep, ensued, that she could now retain no hope of being herself his inducement to this journey. But egotism was no part of her composition. When she saw, therefore, the next minute, Sir Sedley Clarendell advanced limping, and heard him ask if his phaeton were ready, she approached him, saying, "'Will you venture, Sir Sedley, in your phaeton?' "'There's no sort of reason why not,' answered he, sensibly flattered. "'Yet I had certainly rather go as you go.' "'Then that,' said Mrs. Arlbury, "'must be in Denel's coach, with him and my little niece here, "'and then I'll drive the general in your phaeton.' "'Agreed,' cried Sir Sedley, seating himself on one of the forms, "'and then, taking from a paper some tickets, added, "'I want a few guineas.' "'So do I,' exclaimed Mrs. Arlbury. Do you know where such sort of things are to be met with? Lady Alethea Selmore has promised to disperse some twenty tickets for the master of the ceremony's ball, and she commands me to help. How many shall I give you? Ask Mr. Denell, answered she negligently. He's the only paymaster just now. Mr. Denell turned around and was going to walk away, but Mrs. Arlbury, taking him by the arm, said, 
my good friend how many tickets shall sir sedley give you me none at all oh fie everybody goes to the master of the ceremonies ball come you shall have six you can't possibly take less six what should i do with them why you and your daughter will use two and four you must give away what for ah, was ever such a question to do what's proper and right and handsome and gallant oh as to all that it's what i don't understand it's out of my way he would then have made off but mrs arlbury piqued to succeed held him fast and said come if you'll be good i'll be good too and you shall have a plain joint of meat at the bottom of the table every day for a fortnight mr dennell softened a little here into something like a smile and drew two guineas from his purse but more there was no obtaining come cried sir sedley you have canvassed well so far now for your fair self you're a shocking creature cried she don't you know i am turned miser yet she gave him her guinea but the fair tyrolda does not also i trust assume that character camilla had felt very uneasy during this contest and now colouring she said she did not mean to go to the ball can you ever expect then said mrs Alberry, to have a partner at any other you don't know the rules of these places the master of the ceremonies is always a gentleman and everybody is eager to shew him every possible respect camilla was now still more distressed and stammered out that she believed the fewer balls she went to the better her father would be pleased your father my dear is a very wise man and a very good man and a very excellent preacher but what does he know of tunbridge wells certainly not so much as my dairy-maid for she has heard john talk of them but as to your father depend upon it the sole knowledge he has ever obtained is from some treaty upon its mineral waters which very possibly he can analyze as well as a physician but for the regulation of a country dance be assured he will do much better than to make you over to sir sedley or to me camilla laughed faintly and feeling in her pocket to take out her pocket-handkerchief by way of something to do mrs arlbury concluded she was seeking her purse and suddenly putting her hand upon her arm to prevent her said no no if you don't wish to go or choose to go or approve of going i cannot in sober earnestness see you compelled nothing is so detestable as forcing people to be amused come now for noel sir sedley was then putting up his tickets but the major taking one of them out of his hand presented it to camilla saying let the ladies take their tickets now and settle with us afterwards camilla felt extremely provoked yet not knowing how to resist took the ticket but turning pointedly from the major to sir sedley said i am your debtor then sir a guinea the smallest part indeed of what i owe you though all i can pay and she then resolved to borrow that sum immediately of mrs arlbury sir sedley began to think she grew handsomer every moment and contrary to his established and systematic inattention upon hearing the sound of the carriages conducted her himself to mr dennell's coach which he ascended after her edgar unable to withstand joining the party had ordered his horse during the debate about the tickets lords o'leary and newford and sir theophilus gerard and major Sirwood went also on horseback sir sedley made it his study to procure amusement for camilla during the ride and while he humoured alternately the loquacious folly of miss dennell and the underbred positiveness of her father 
intermingled with both comic sarcasms against himself and pointed annotations upon the times that somewhat diverted her solicitude and perplexity she forgot them however more naturally in examining the noble antique mansion pictures and curiosities of noel and in paying the tribute that taste must ever pay to the works exhibited there of sir joshua reynolds the house viewed they all proceeded to the park where enchanted with the noble old trees which venerably adorn it they strolled delightedly till they came within sight of an elegant white form as far distant as their eyes could reach reading under an oak camilla instantly thought of her moonlight friend but sir theophilus called out faith there's the divine burlington is there faith exclaimed lord newford suddenly rushing forward to satisfy himself if it were true deeming this an ill-bred and unauthorized intrusion they all stopped the studious fair profoundly absorbed by her book did not hear his lordship's footsteps till his coat rustled in her ears raising then her eyes she screamed dropped her book and darted up flew towards the wood with a velocity far exceeding his own though without seeming to know or consider whither her flight might lead her camilla certain now this was her new friend felt an indignation most lively against lord newford and involuntarily sprung forward it was evident the fair fugitive had perceived none of the party but him she sought to avoid notwithstanding lord newford himself when convinced who it was ceased his pursuit and seemed almost to find out there was such a sensation as shame though by various antics of swinging his cane looking up in the air shaking his pocket-handkerchief and sticking his arms akimbo he thought it essential to his credit to disguise it camilla had no chance to reach the flying beauty but by calling to her to stop which she did instantly at the sound of her voice and turning round with a look of rapture ran into her arms the major whose devoir to camilla always sought not avoided the public eye eagerly pursued her edgar cruelly envying a license he concluded to result from his happy situation looked on in silent amaze but listened with no small attention to the remarks that now fell from mrs arlberry who said she was sure this must be the fair incognita that miss tyrold had met with upon the road and gave a lively relation of that adventure he could not hear without delight the benevolent courage thus manifested by camilla nor without terror the danger to which it might have exposed her but lord o'lerney with an air of extreme surprise exclaimed is it possible lord newford could give any cause of alarm to mrs burlington is she then my lord a woman of character cried mrs arlbury untainted he answered solemnly as spotless i believe as her beauty and if you have seen her you will allow that to be no small praise she comes from a most respectable family in wales and has been married but a few months married my lord my fair female quixote assured me she was single no poor thing she was carried from the nursery to the altar and i fear not very judiciously nor happily dear cried miss denno isn't she happy i never presumed to judge answered his lordship smiling but she has always something melancholy in her air oh, pray how old is she said miss denno eighteen dear and married la i wonder what makes her unhappy not a husband certainly said mrs arlbury laughing that is against all chance and probability well i'm resolved when i'm married myself i won't be unhappy and how will you help it oh because i'm determined i won't i think it's very hard if i mayn't have my own way when i'm married twill at least be very singular answered mrs arlbury 
Camilla now returned to her party, having first conducted her new friend towards a door in the park where her carriage was waiting. "'At length, my dear,' said Mrs. Arlberry, "'your fair mysterious has, I suppose, avowed herself?' "'I made no inquiry,' answered she, painfully looking down. "'I can tell you who she is, then, myself,' said Miss Dennell. "'She is Mrs. Burlington, and she's come out of Wales, and she's married, and she's eighteen. "'Married?' repeated Camilla, blushing from internal surprise at the conversation she had held with her. "'Yes, your fair incognita is neither more nor less,' said Mrs. Arlbury, "'than the Honourable Mrs. Burlington, wife to Lord Burlington's brother, "'and next only to Lady Alethea Selmore, the first toast, "'and the reigning cry of the wells for this season.' Camilla, who had seen and considered her in almost every other point of view, "'heard this with less of pleasure than astonishment. "'When a further investigation brought forth from Lord O'Lerney "'that her maiden name was Melmond, Mrs. Arlbury exclaimed, "'Oh, then I cease to play the idiot, and wonder, I know the Melmans well. They're all half-crazy, romantic, love-lorn, studious, and sentimental. One of them was in Hampshire this summer, but so immensely melancholy and gentlemanlike that I never took him into my society.' "'Twas the brother of this young lady, I doubt not,' said Lord O'Lerney. "'He is a young man of very good parts, and of an exemplary character.' but strong in his feelings, and wild in pursuit of whatever excites them. "'When will you introduce me to your new friend, Miss Tyrold?' said Mrs. Arlbury. "'Or rather,' turning to Lord Newford, "'I hope your lordship will do me that honour. I hear you are very kind to her, and take much care to convince her of the ill effects and danger of the evening air.' "'Oh, hang it! Oh, curse it!' cried his lordship. "'Why does a woman walk by moonlight?' "'Why, rather, should man?' said Lord O'Lerney, impede so natural a recreation. The age of Lord O'Lerney, which more than doubled that of Lord Newford, made this question supported, and even drew forth the condensation of an attempted exculpation. "'I vow, my lord,' he cried, "'I had no intention but to look at a letter, and that I thought she only read in public to excite curiosity.' "'Oh, but ye knelt to her,' cried Miss Dennell. "'Ye knelt to her. I saw you. And why did you do that, when you knew she was married, and you could not be her lover?' The party being now disposed to return to the wells, Mrs. Arlbury called upon the general to attend her to the phaeton. Camilla, impatient to pace her steadily, followed to speak to her, but, not aware of her wish, Mrs. Arlbury hurried laughingly on, saying, "'Come, general, let us be gone, that the coach may be last, and then Dennell must pay for the fees.' That will be a good guinea towards my ponies. End of Book Six, Chapter Four. Recording by Linda Vell West.